just in time for summer, the folks at Epic Brewing have released a new canned cocktail, the Utah Margarita. A delicious blend of real lime and agave, the Utah Margarita is ready to drink by the river or in the park. And here's the kicker, no need to buy it at a liquor store. Pick up a six-pack of Epic Brewing's Utah Margarita at any local Harmon's or Trader Joe's, or visit Epic Brewing on State Street in downtown Salt Lake City. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. The Michelin Star is one of the world's most prestigious travel awards. It says, this is the place. In 2018, for the first time in the more than 100-year history of Michelin's travel guide, a U.S. state was awarded three stars. And that state was Utah. But our restaurants have yet to receive a single star. So what gives? And what Salt Lake restaurants should be getting the recognition? It's Thursday, October 5th. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Stuart Melling, founder of Gastronomic SLC. What is the best meal you've had recently in Salt Lake? I think my favorite meal of late has probably been Urban Hill. Do you know down the post district, that kind of newly coming together block? Yeah, it feels like the district just keeps growing because now they're pushing into towards I-15, the silo yeah. district. Oh, it's the silo district. Wow, okay. They're calling it the silo district and they're going to build out housing and all kinds of stuff there. Yeah. Wow. But okay, Urban Hill is quite fancy, right? It's like kind of our new fancy restaurant in town. I mean, you did say my favorite meal and fancy is nice, right? <laughs> sure. No, they, yeah. they opened towards the end of last year. And they were opened by the guys that run Hearth and Hill in Park City, which is more kind of like a, they see it as more of like a neighborhood hangout for Park Cityites. But Urban Hill is full on high end, fine dining, no expense bird, absolutely mm. fabulous place. The chef they um, hired, Nick Zocco, he actually used to work in the Wynn in Las Vegas. It, oh. And that's one of like the best steakhouses in Vegas. So, you know, that guy knows how to cook. So you've been involved in Salt Lake's food scene for almost 20 years. I think you are, you're the guy. You're the voice in my mind. Oh, thank you. And okay, <laughs> we've seen beloved restaurants here close and new ones pop up. Things are shifting. How has our culinary scene changed in like the past two decades? We'll say since the Olympics. <laughs> sure. I mean, everyone always says you wouldn't believe what it was like five years ago. You wouldn't believe what it's like 10 years ago. And the, yeah. I've heard that ever since I moved here. So it's always, as you say, it's always changing, always evolving. I think the thing that stands out to me, strikes me the most, is when I first moved here and you go to a really great restaurant, people would say, oh, it's not like dining in Salt Lake City. It's like dining in a real city. Ugh. And that's kind of dropped off over the years. You don't really hear that so much now. People are just like, this is a really good restaurant. And they don't caveat, but you're in Salt Lake City. So it feels like the city in general is just more grown up these days. I mean, do you think we're headed in any particular direction? Like if you had to do a little trend forecasting, what does the future hold? You know, every, again, every five or 10 years, it kind of changes. I think ultra fine dining has always been tough. And I don't know if it's the demographics of Salt Lake City being a bit younger, but we have more of these kind of, you know, more casual hangout places. Yeah. Kind of small plates, hang out with your friends, not like super stiff service, kind of more casual. Mm. 
I think that's been a trend I've seen for the last five, six, seven years, like food halls, you know, just right. go in, hang out, have a drink, grab a bite to eat. Yeah, more hog wallow, less yeah. HSL. I mean, I remember even when I moved here in 2017, whenever I heard people talk about having an occasion kind of meal, they would usually go up to Park City. Sure. I mean, you have Log Haven, maybe, up Mill Creek. That's kind of popular for that kind mm -hmm. of Lakai. Lakai. But yeah, Park City, I mean, the amount of money that flows into Park City because of the ski resorts and the, all that, I mean... There's some really, really excellent places. Have you ever been up to Rhyme in the St. Regis? No. Oh, my God, that, that place is beautiful. I mean, it's perched on top of a mountain. It looks like a Vegas resort kind of thing, but it's, like, it's another steakhouse. But absolutely impeccable cooking, amazing seafood, stunning views. Every night they have a champagne sabering open to the public where they, you know, they open the bottle with a big sword to, like, grand oh effect. It's, you know, if you want to drop some money, that's a great place. Well, I kind of want to talk to you about fine dining because Utah has a lot of noteworthy restaurants. We've got a lot of spots that have been nominated for the James Beard Award, which is a prestigious culinary award. But we have no Michelin star <laughs> restaurants. Why is that? This is my take. Okay. I think it's one of maybe the Michelin people getting banged for the book. So hmm. to break it down, Michelin, the inspectors are like salaried employees. They, according to their own information, the average inspector will have 250 meals a year. So they're constantly on the road, constantly traveling, constantly eating, and that's all paid for by Michelin. So okay. the expense is quite a lot. And like any business, what's your ROI? If you send an inspector to Paris, he's going to get like, you know, 50 places to hit up if you send him to Salt Lake City, you know, is the return on that investment quite the same? I think that might be one of the core reasons, perhaps. Yeah, maybe I'm reading into this too much, but like, how does Michelin make their money then to fund these inspectors? It's, it's a very good question. I mean, one source in the last few years is they do actually, for example, the Tourist Board of California paid them $600,000 because previously, I think it was only, I think LA was in for a moment, but like San Francisco, was in the Michelin book since like 2006. And then all the various yeah. cities were like, hey, we want to be part of it. And we're thinking, how can we get in it? And then the tourist board said, hey, 600,000, will you come and review the whole state? And I think that was 2019, that the whole state mm. of California under that kind of financial arrangement. But for their part, Michelin said that doesn't influence them for the slightest. But again, they have huge costs, travel and board and paying for these meals anonymously. And if you Google around, you'll see quite a few of the countries and places have done this for inclusion in the guide. Okay. I'm like, I have 10 million questions. Let me go one at a time. <laughs> okay. So what kind of standards do restaurants have to meet to earn a Michelin star in the first place? So a lot of people, I think, assume the Michelin stars are given out for the kind of holistic experience, yeah. the service, the table work, you know, the atmosphere, but that's not... It's not true. They focus purely on the quality of the cooking, that and that alone. And I think on mm. their website, they even say, we won't be able to like compare like this, you know, the height of gastronomic dining in Paris to a small noodle shop on a street corner in Taiwan. So we're just looking at the food. We're not looking at anything else. But of course, your best restaurants, as the quality of the food goes up, so does, so does everything else. Right. So... There are three stars they hand out, the one star, the two star, the three star. And the kind of way they describe it kind of speaks to where the guide came from. So obviously Michelin, you know, a tire company, when the book came out in about 1900, I think it is, 
They wanted to encourage motorists, you know, to get on the road, use those tires and probably buy some more tires from driving around. So the three stars roughly equate to one star, it's worth a stop. Two stars, it's worth a detour. Three stars, it's worth a special journey. You should just go to that restaurant just for the sake of going to that restaurant. Oh, okay. I had absolutely no idea that was the origin story, that it actually had to do with the tire company. <laughs> yep, they, and, they, and it's just got bigger and bigger and bigger. I think they said they've covered 30,000 restaurants and I have no idea how many countries at this point, because obviously now it's global. It started off as just a French kind of guidebook, get on the road, get eating, but now it's completely global. So it's interesting to learn this because when I was thinking about talking to you, a question that I had was, is it possible that one of the reasons that Michelin isn't spending time in Utah is because of our strict liquor laws. But it sounds like the answer is no. Yeah, I, I don't think they'd really, I mean, again, it comes back to the food. So I'm, mm-hmm. I don't know the entire litany of places they covered in the guide, but I, I'm assuming the places that probably are, you know, alcohol-free, depending on like the country and the culture and the... Yeah. But I, I wouldn't say per se that's a big detractor. I think if somewhere is known for excellent food, and a lot of it, they'll probably go there. The Living Traditions Festival is back in downtown Salt Lake City, May 17th through 19th. And this is when I come alive. It is so easy to sell me on three days of Washington Square and Library Square converting to a global food court. And this festival has truly been one of my favorites for years now. Living Traditions convenes the diversity of artistic traditions, food heritage, music, and art from the many cultures that have made Utah their home. You can expect everything from live music and dance to hands-on workshops, a little shopping, Sundance film screenings, and Bohemian Brewery. There is something for the whole family, and it's free entry. Come celebrate all of the rich cultures that make up our community. Find more information on the festival and view the full program guide at livingtraditionsfestival.com or on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. We talk a lot on this show about our city's crown jewels. What are the institutions that open doors in our community and regulate its pulse? I choose Salt Lake Community College, and it is a home for incredibly focused Salt Lakers. Nearly 80% of their students work while going to school, many full-time jobs. If I could do college all over again, I would not be 33 and sitting on these damn student loans. And slick students aren't. 80% graduate with little to no student loan debt or save thousands knocking out credits before transferring to a four-year institution. Every day, Salt Lake Community College is transforming lives and communities through education. If you want to learn something new, refine a trade, or pursue a higher degree for the first time, explore your options at slcc.edu. Study alongside hard workers, save precious money, and be one in a class of 19, not 100. Well, what would it take for a Salt Lake restaurant to earn a Michelin star then? You know, it's tricky. I mean... First, I would say I've had plenty of what I would consider Michelin-quality food in Utah over the years. Where? Uh, Let's go way back in time. 
Do you remember okay. Naked Fish? No. Okay, so Naked Fish became Ikigai. Mm-hmm. So do you know where Cafe Melisse used to be downtown, right next yeah. to the Salt Pass? Well, Naked Fish was right next door. Okay. I think you said you came here in 2017, so they may have already closed. But that was a really high-end sushi place, and I had an omakase one night. And I did know the chef and the owner, and I sat there, and the quality of the ingredients, the technique, there's like 14 courses. It was as good as anything I've had anywhere in the world in the United States. It really, really, really top class. And I remember speaking to the owner, I think it was only maybe 150 bucks, and you'll spend mm-hmm. 10 times that somewhere else. And I remember speaking to the owner and he said, well, you know, I'd love to do this like six seat sushi bar every night. And that's all we do, six guests. But at the time, I don't think Salt Lake would have supported that. You know, six mm-hmm. seats, maybe two or 300 bucks a head kind of thing. Maybe now it would, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, money is showing up here in big ways. Yeah, for sure. Did you see STK Steakhouse are coming downtown? No, what's that? They're like a really trendy, high-end, buzzy kind of, it's like steakhouse meets nightclub kind of vibe. They're in like Miami, Vegas, New York. That's coming downtown quite soon. So there's big money's flown into Salt Lake. Yeah, the steakhouse nightclub combo is a very Florida thing. I feel like I've had a lot of steaks on a dance floor. (laughs) (laughs) I can't imagine how that would work, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> well, there's the very there's the one on the Miami Strip that's owned by Gloria Stefan, her oh, restaurant, wow, okay. where it's like you're basically eating on the dance floor. It's a blast. But <laughs> cool. Well, what restaurants are in business right now that you think would be worth a visit if you were planning an itinerary for Michelin? Okay, I mean back to the original one I mentioned. I think Urban Hill will be up there. The quality of the ingredients, the technique, they use local ingredients where they can, the, the chef, the personality that comes through. And just to touch on their own kind of criterion, they say the five things that we kind of measure restaurants on is kind of, you know, ingredient, skill, technique. And they also talk about personality and emotion and how you can see the chef in the food and the consistency through the menu. So I think they would be a decent shot. Beyond that, I love the Pearl in the Central Mines. I think the Pearl's food is amazing. I agree. Yeah. And like Tommy, Tommy and Wynn, the, the chef there, a lot of the recipes are from like his mom and his family and speaks to his childhood and growing up. And I remember like, I think we were there on the, the opening night and he came out and he was talking to us and he looked super stressed. And I'm like, what's, what's wrong, dude? It's like his mom was out back in the kitchen, like, don't cook it like that. You cook it like this. And so you can, you can see that personality and that emotion and that kind of, that expression in the food. And you can't say for sure whether a place would get a Michelin star or not, but it certainly meets what I feel is the criterion for showing great ingredients with great skill and great personality in the food. I think they were worth a shot for sure. But we have tons of great chefs around town, Oka, HSL, SLC Eatery. Um, I haven't been, people of Arlo up in the, would it be Capitol Hill? Avenue's marmalade, marmalade, I think is, that's kind of the start of the marmalade district. Yeah. yeah. And people love it though. So I think there's a lot of great talent here and a lot of great dishes. Do you have any favorites? You know, it's funny you bring up the Pearl. That is the number one place I recommend that people eat when they're visiting in Salt Lake. Like if I get stopped on the street or because of this job, people often reach out to me and are like, where should we eat? Or like, you know, I just moved here or whatever. I always say the Pearl. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, to bring it kind of back to Utah liquor laws, it is unfortunate that it is, well, of course, (laughs) as someone who's going to every bar in Salt Lake County, I think it's fantastic that it's a bar. But because it's a bar, you can't really bring the family, 21 and up, et cetera. Sure. The food is just so good. It is unfortunate that everyone can't eat there. <laughs> yeah, but no, like, I know you mean, yeah. From the wings to the banh mi to the mushrooms and greens, 
which are, I mean, it's basically just like bok choy with these beautiful mushrooms in this like incredible spicy sauce served with a side of rice, which Tommy told me once, the chef who you mentioned, was something they came up with because someone came in right after they had opened and asked for a vegan dish. Okay. And he was like, uh, (laughs) I'll pull something together. And now I think it is like a highlight of the menu. Right, right. Um, it's just such a fun place. It's so Salt Lake. Of course, there's the. there used to be a restaurant called The Pearl on State Street. And if you drive down there, you can actually see the sign. The big tall sign is still oh, up, okay. which is the, I think I've been told the origin story of the name. Okay. So there's just so much about it that's very Salt Lake. You know, those guys are of this city in a lot of ways. And so I think that is one of our most special. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I just got back from a trip to Austin and, you know, you're exploring around town, you go into all these little, you know, neighborhood restaurants. And, and when you, you see these cities out of state that people are always like, oh, my God, Portland's amazing and Austin's amazing and this is amazing. And you're like, the pearl would totally fit in here. You know, this, this, this would do great in any of these cities, I, I think. I think people like to beat up on Utah, which I think is unfair. Yeah, that's a theme that comes up a lot on this show. <laughs> well, I guess on that note, you know, we're having this conversation because it's fun. But would having a Michelin star restaurant in Salt Lake City really change anything? Like, would it have a ripple effect on our food scene? Mm, I don't really think so, personally. Mm. I know I know a lot of people kind of obsess over them, and some people don't, and there's everything in between. I mean, we have, like, obviously the James Beard Awards. It's like the U.S.'s version of Michelin. Yeah. It's more holistic. It does count the service, the ambiance, the stem work, what have you. So we, we, you know, we have that and we have James Beard nominated. I mean, like Post Office Place, back to bars, they would, they got right to the finals almost. They were in the, the top 20 bars in the United States yeah. as judged by James Beard. But no, I mean, if we ever got a three star, I think that would, that would definitely change things a little bit. I mean, well, I've been to a lot of Michelin starred restaurants over the years. I remember going to one in Vegas years and years ago. Me and my wife, we sat down, you know, kind of the counter. It was like a sushi Kaiseki 20 course kind of thing and mm-hmm. we sat down and we're all dressed up nicely and the sommelier runs over oh I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I mean what, what's wrong and we were both wearing black pants and they'd used white linen napkins and they tore those off and put down black napkins because they didn't want to get any lint any white lint on a black pant and I was wow okay that's you know attention to detail at the, yeah. at the extreme so yeah I think if we had a three star in Utah it would definitely draw people it would change things but There's so few and far between. Well, and I think it was really an interesting time when James Beard decided to start taking into account back of house Mm. in their awards process. And, you know, the way you've described it, I can't help but think of like James Beard is the National Book Award, Michelin is the Pulitzer. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But like thinking about an industry that is where kitchens can be incredibly fraught. Like if you've ever waited tables, you know they can be some of the most often like disruptive and like destructive places (laughs) for people. Um, I think there is for me a lot of value in knowing that the back of house is a happy, safe place for people to work. And that I think makes the James Beard Awards ultimately a little bit more interesting to me because it's why I like open kitchens, you know? Because it's like, you can see it all happening. No one's being tortured back there. <laughs> no, I, I, I totally get that. I totally understand that. And um, I mean, it, going back to Urban Hill, I hate to keep 
harping on about the same place. Listen, they can they can send us a check for this conversation. <laughs> they, they treat the staff so well. They have full health benefits, 401ks. Everyone, you, when you go there, everyone's like so happy to be there. Like, I'm sure you've been in restaurants where people aren't so happy to be there. Mm-hmm. I've been a disgruntled restaurant employee for sure. Okay. Yep. <laughs> I've met several. It's a rite of passage. <laughs> We're recording, so I won't name any names. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Stuart Melling, founder of Gastronomic SLC. Thank you so much. What fun talking to you. Yeah, thank you for having me on. That is all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you for listening. We will be back tomorrow morning with more from around this city. 